Thank you, Megan. You can just bring that up to me, buddy. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, Megan. We will, Lord willing, be asking you to read significantly longer passages in the weeks to come. Uh, But I believe you are right. Every sentence God breathed. My hope for you today is that you would be encouraged to not stop speaking about Jesus because of the unstoppable spread of salvation through Jesus Christ. I married Colette, who studied journalism and communication. I know that that's a double negative. And uh, before I give you the chance, and she's not here, so before she has the chance to correct me later, I know and I intended to stick in your mind. Be encouraged not to stop speaking of Jesus because of the unstoppable spread of salvation through Jesus Christ. Don't stop. Here is essentially the whole sermon this morning. I want to begin by showing you that our little sentence, Acts 2.47, is an expression of the growth of the kingdom of God. We're going to begin looking at the kingdom of God in Mark chapter 4. This little sentence is an expression of the growth of the kingdom of God. Then we'll see how this shows up through the book of Acts. The sentence is an introduction to this happening throughout the book of Acts. And then we'll see how there is an encouragement and an adjustment and an exhortation. So Mark 4, to begin, the expression of the expansion of the kingdom, then we'll see this expansion through Acts and finish with encouragement an adjustment, and an exhortation. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would now be with us here. You are speaking to us today through your word, convicting us, guiding us by your spirit. And I pray that as we hear the word today, we would recognize it for what it is, the word of God which is at work in us, I pray that you would help us to be encouraged. It is so easy to be torn down by so many things, especially in our efforts to share the gospel with others. Help us be encouraged today. We love you, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. I've preached all kinds of sermons over the years. Some that had a lot of stories. Some that had a lot of history. Some that walked from Genesis to Revelation. I don't have a lot of stories to encourage you with today. I just want you to see how unstoppable the growth of the kingdom of God is in His Word. 
See how unstoppable the growth of the kingdom of God is in his word to us. Mark 4, beginning in verse 1, Jesus is teaching the overarching theme for this entire chapter in Mark 4 is the kingdom of God. Explaining it, teaching it, helping us understand how it works. The kingdom of God being the people of God. The place of God, under God's rule. Mark chapter 4, begin in verse 1, and read through the first parable and the first explanation in verse 20, as we'll look at the whole chapter. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered beside him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea and on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path. The birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. Since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. When he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables, all the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. So that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables. The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while, and then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, the cares of the world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But for those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30 and 60 fold and 100 fold. Well, if you wanted to spend the afternoon reading the book of Acts, you'll find Jesus' words coming true on every chapter and how those who hear the word receive it. Jesus, again, is talking about the kingdom. And in particular, in this first parable's explanation, he is explaining that this is about the sower sowing the seed 
of the Word. The Word about the kingdom is being sown like seeds scattered. And what is the result of the the Word of, of the kingdom, the Word of Christ being scattered throughout the whole world? Well, it depends on what kind of soil it lands on. Not all who hear respond the same way. But as it goes, some lands on rocky ground, some lands on the side of the road, some lands in fertile soil from time to time. That's how the kingdom of God is growing. Seed is spread, and sometimes it will land in fertile soil. Well, is Jesus hiding the truth by putting everything in parables? He continues to deal with this question about the parables and why he's talking in parables. If he's not trying to hide anything, why is he talking in parables? Look at chapter 4, verse 21. He said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone hears, let him hear. Jesus says, I don't have anything to hide. The parables are not hiding anything from anyone. The light of the kingdom is here. Jesus is here pointing to the kingdom of God. I didn't come to put things under a basket and hide them in parables. That's not what I'm saying. If you can hear, hear. If you can see, see. He says in verse 24, he says to them, pay attention to what you hear. Pay attention to the seeds that are being sown about the kingdom. With the measure that you use, it will be measured to you, and still more be added to you. For the one who has, more will be given. If the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. As you hear the news of the kingdom, use it and share it. Tell it what you hear spreads or spoils. The kingdom grows through it being shared. Those who are truly hearers tend to become scatterers as well. Well, who grows this kingdom? Who makes the kingdom grow? Who makes these seeds sprout up? Mark 4, verse 26. Jesus says, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. And the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts it in the sickle because the harvest has come. How does it grow? What makes it grow? God. I wrote a little children's book for my kids years ago. And I think the title was something like, What Makes It Grow? And it was page after page, a parable, self-illustrated story about not knowing what makes Christians grow. How do they grow? And the illustration in the children's book was about plants and how we don't know what makes plants grow. And I was so excited to give it to my kids. I read it to them for the first time. And they all said, no, Dad, that's ridiculous. We all know how plants grow. I mean, they're over here, you know, third grade biology, going, it's photosynthesis, and there's water, and there's dirt, and the sun shines. And I'm like, okay. The point of this parable is, it is God who makes it grow. It's a mystery. How in the world? A farmer looks out the field and says, man, I don't know how that stuff just grows. It just comes up out of the ground. How the kingdom is growing like that. How does the kingdom grow to finish the chapter? It starts out small, but then it outgrows all the other kingdoms. And you can't stop it. 
4, verse 30 to 32, and he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? What parable shall we use for it? He says, It is like a grain of a mustard seed. See the theme of the seeds. Which when sown on the ground, it's the smallest of the seeds on the earth. And yet, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. The kingdom of God will outgrow every rain, every polity, every boundary, every people, any claim to rule and truth and authority on the earth. The kingdom may seem small to you now, but will it not outgrow all others as God is growing it? More surely than the fact that the universe is steadily expanding at something like the speed of light, the kingdom of God is expanding and is growing like the smallest of seeds that will become the largest tree. And you can't stop it. You cannot stop it. No one can overcome God. No one can overcome the salvation that He offers in Jesus Christ. No one can overcome His kingdom or slow down His plans or get in His way. No one. Nothing. It is small now, but it will outgrow every other rule and authority. This is the hope. This is the joy of the book of Revelation. John gets a vision that the kingdom of God cannot be stopped. You can throw rulers at it, persecute. You can kill Christians by the thousands and you cannot stop the kingdom of God. You go to the end of the book of Revelation, you see the, the visions of the new heaven, the new earth, the new creation. What is it telling us? You can't stop God. You cannot stop the growth of His kingdom. You cannot stop people being saved. You cannot stop a seed that lands on fertile soil. You can't overcome it. I encourage you today, just go to the end of Revelation and read 20, 21, and 22 and just see it is fulfilled in the end that God's kingdom is spread all over the earth. His people and His reign. Jesus taught in Mark 4 the word, the kingdom, is going to spread. It's going to grow miraculously. Though small, it will outgrow all kingdoms, all others. And I want you to see that this is connected to the book of Acts. That this theme, really beginning in Genesis, we mercifully begin in Mark 4. The theme of the growth of the kingdom runs right through the book of Acts. The expansion of the salvation of the people of God into the kingdom runs right through the book of Acts. In Acts we see the kingdom is 
growing and growing and growing as the word of Jesus Christ is preached, 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 and spreads from person to person to person. And those who hear the word of Jesus Christ, well, sometimes that word falls on rocky ground. Sometimes it falls by the path. And sometimes it lands in fertile soil. And it produces eternal fruit. Go with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. I'm okay if when we get done with Acts 2.47, the rest of Acts just begins to feel like regurgitation, because we've been looking at so much of it over the last week, so I'm totally fine with that. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus has risen from the dead, met with his apostles, taught them for days and weeks, about what? About the kingdom. Go back to chapter 1, 1 through 5. He gives them this commission, Acts 1, verse 8. But you, you, is now the time God's going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Well, here's the answer. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in Judea, and in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now watch and see how the Mark 4 expansion of the kingdom grows along Acts 1-8 lines through the book of Acts. The kingdom growth that Jesus has described in Mark 4 is going to take the paths, the lines of Acts chapter 1-8 it's going to take that through the rest of the book of Acts. The seed of the kingdom, the seeds, the word of Jesus Christ as king, as savior, are now going to grow. Those vines, those branches are going to grow from Jerusalem to Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In that order, in that direction, and to those people. Jesus commissioned it that way and Luke recorded it that way historically on purpose to show Acts 1-8 happened and is happening today. Look at Acts chapter 2 verse 47. We looked at those six sentences the last six weeks, five sentences before the last five weeks. This is the response to the Holy Spirit when the gospel is preached. Acts 2.47, the last one is, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the fruit of the Spirit working in the early church. They gathered around the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to prayer. They sold their extra possessions and made sure that everyone in the church was taken care of. They got together. They sang. They prayed. And this last mark, the word went out and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. 
This is the beginning of the kingdom growth of the plant in Acts chapter 1-8. Day by day, day, there in Jerusalem specifically, people were being saved. They were coming into the kingdom of God by being saved from the kingdom of sin and darkness. From the throne of the prince of, of darkness. Being saved from God's wrath by coming into the kingdom via forgiveness of their sins by their faith in Christ. Look at Acts 2, 38-41, a few verses back. This is the culmination of what Peter was preaching when he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. You need to have your sins forgiven before God. You will receive the power of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself, brings into the kingdom. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves, be saved from this crooked generation. Peter was preaching salvation. Salvation. Let's talk for a moment what it means to be saved. What is salvation? Luke recorded that day by day, the the number was added, those who were being saved. What What does it mean to be saved? Well, we're saved from the justice of God towards sinners like me and you. Salvation equals forgiveness of sin. Coming to be at peace with God rather than at enmity with God and in debt to God. It's not a salvation primarily from, from Rome first or salvation from a marriage or salvation from people who mistreat you or salvation from working a certain kind of job or living in a certain country. It's not necessarily that kind of salvation that is promised to everyone all places. It is a salvation between you and God whereby the penalty for your sin is put on Jesus Christ. You become saved when Jesus becomes the propitiation for you. That's the first word I tried to teach Jay to say, propitiation. They did not go well. Propitiation means he's put in your place. Jesus died on the cross in your place to take on the penalty that you deserve for your sins, that we all deserve. You see, this, this salvation really is the gospel. I mean, take your worship guide if you have one and just, just go in there. So I had a little explanation of what it means to be saved written down. Then I just thought, you know, this is a great one. This is helpful. This is simple. Right inside to the, is it, you know, page two or three, however you're looking there, right inside the first flap, what is the gospel? This is what it means to be saved. This is something simple. It would be good for you to practice having the gospel on your tongue in in simple, universal terms. What is the gospel? What is the good news? This is talking about salvation. Our world is a dark, fallen world. There's a common sense among mankind that things are not the way they're supposed to be. What went wrong? What is the solution? God created the world... The Bible says he uniquely made mankind in his image and likeness. That's Genesis 1.26. But we have all rebelled against God's holiness and rule. Romans 3.1.10 tells us. The Bible calls this sin. There's, there's no one who hasn't sinned against God. The best person you can think about. They've sinned against God in their heart and their mind in some way. 
We all, every human, has sinned against God. Even creation itself is corrupted and groans over man's sin against God. From the beginning, God said the wages of sin is death. But God, in His unfailing love, grace and grace, sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for our place, in our place. Now, all who confess their sin, turn from it, and profess Jesus as Lord, can be forgiven and saved from God's judgment. When we trust Jesus as God's Son, any will be forgiven of their sin and transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the beloved Son. That's what it means to be saved, to be forgiven of your sin, to be transferred from the kingdom of darkness to to being now a child of light, a, a, a forgiven person before God. And see how salvation like this, this forgiveness of sins, this transfer from one kingdom to the kingdom of the beloved Son is how the kingdom is growing now. Every time someone is forgiven of their sins by trusting Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God grows by one. One more citizen. One more saint. One more member of the body of Christ. The kingdom grows by salvation, by anyone who hears of the gospel, anyone who hears of Christ being forgiven and so being saved. I would just ask you this morning, do you know which kingdom you are in? Do you know which kingdom you are in? Would you be in what Paul calls the domain of darkness, just living in sin, submitting to sin, loving sin, hiding sin, protecting sin? Maybe you're faking other things, but in your own heart of hearts, you just love to be a rebel. You love sensuality. You love pleasure. You love money. You love your status. You, you love something else. Because that's your kingdom. That's what you love. You ultimately serve darkness, sin, and Satan in your heart. Are you in the kingdom of Christ? Are you in the kingdom of the beloved Son? The only way to be in that kingdom, to have that passport, so to speak, you don't have to go somewhere. You don't go somewhere new. You don't get transferred like from, like, like from America to Indonesia or something. You know, we had two of our children born in, in Hong Kong, China, and they were born there, but by golly, they're Texan. I mean, they got American passports, but they're Texan, okay? Way before they ever came to Texas. Well, that's what it means to be transferred to the kingdom of the beloved son. Not to go somewhere yet, not to go to the final state of the kingdom yet, but be transferred. Now, that's my kingdom. I've been forgiven of my sin. I've put my faith in Jesus Christ. Friends, you can transfer kingdoms you find yourself in sin and in debt to God, you could transfer kingdoms. You just go to God and acknowledge, I have sinned with my life and my heart and my mind with my hands. And God, I recognize Jesus as your son. He died on the cross for my sins. He raised from the grave, having fully paid for sin. And I ask for you to forgive my sins, Jesus taking them for me. That's the profession of the kingdom. Jesus is the Christ, crucified for me. That's our pledge of allegiance, if you will.
That's why Luke mentions the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. They're being saved. They're not just coming to church. They're not just signing up for some events. They're being saved. They're confessing their sin, acknowledging Jesus Christ, and they're being saved. And Luke is showing the message of forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Luke is showing us that message is going from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. As the word, like a seed, is sown, the kingdom is growing as more and more people are being saved. That's Acts 2.47. But look at Acts chapter 6, verse 7. There are three major concentric geographic circles in the book of Acts, and they each end with statements that the word spread in that particular region. And so the kingdom was spreading in that region by people being saved in that region. Acts 6, verse 7 is really the end of a particular focus on Jerusalem itself. At the end of that section, it says the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly. Where? In Jerusalem. But that's the, that's the last answer. That's the statement of that section. Disciples multiplied greatly. They were saved in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. They were saved as well. Which is wonderful to hear because this is after in chapters 3 through 5 the apostles were arrested. There was fighting between Greek speaking and Hebrew speaking Jews. There was lying in the church. But the church kept growing. The word increased in Jerusalem. Go with me in your Bibles to Acts 9.31. Acts 9.31. Chapters 7, 8, and 9 are the gospel the word, the seeds being planted in Judea and Samaria. And when you get to the end of that section, you go to chapter 9, verse 31, what do you see was happening? What's, what, what happened when the seeds got planted and scattered in the gospel, got preached in Judea and Samaria? Well, look at what it says, just like Acts 2.47. Acts 9.31 says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in fear of the Lord and in comfort of the Holy Spirit. It multiplied. Which is incredible because in chapter 7 through 9, Stephen gets killed. Christians, Jews in particular, are sent, pushed out of Jerusalem altogether. Saul was chasing Christians beyond Jerusalem and beyond Israel, outside of Judea, trying to imprison them. There were multiple plots to kill converts, including Paul himself. And yet, and yet, The church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit and multiplied. Continue to read in chapters to come. You come to the very end of Acts. Go to Acts chapter 28, verse 30 to 31. Acts 28, 30 to 31. That last section... Essentially, you could say, kind of begins in chapter 10. The gospel going beyond Jerusalem, beyond Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And here's how the gospel, or the book of Acts, excuse me, ends. Paul has been making a long, arduous journey to the city of Rome. The center of the earth, as it were, at the time. 
Though James had been killed on the way and Peter was in prison, the word kept growing until Paul goes to take it to Rome. Acts 28, verse 30, 31, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him. Being in house arrest, people came to his house proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Even though Paul had been kicked out of nearly every synagogue he attended, even though he was ran out of multiple cities, even though he was shipwrecked three times, bitten by a snake, danger in the city, danger out in the wilderness, stoned once, flogged three times, often cold, hungry, and went without food, many sleepless nights, now arrested on home arrest, about to be executed, but the word continued to multiply. And we're the last two words in the book of Acts without hindrance. That's where we're left. No hindrance. Well, he's, he's at home arrest. He's about to be executed. Yeah, the word goes with no hindrance. So here we are today, unhindered, talking about Jesus dying for sinners and raising from the dead to see the kingdom expanded by those being saved by having their sins forgiven through Jesus Christ. When Luke records that day by day they were added to their numbers those who were being saved. He is showing the kingdom of God is growing. And he shows through the book of Acts it grows and it grows and it grows. Sometimes you read through Acts you'll find seed lands on rocky ground. Some people get excited about Jesus but then they fall away. You see this all through the New Testament. But the seed just keeps falling on fertile soil every now and then, everywhere it goes. And the church is built up and the word multiplies. So here's an encouragement for you. Just know that God's plan of salvation is unstoppable. It is unstoppable. Listen carefully. The confirmation of the spread of the gospel in Acts is not to us first the command now you must do but rather first to us the encouragement no one can stop this. There is an ought to sharing the gospel. You ought to share the gospel. There's a commission to share the gospel with your neighbors, with the lost, with all the nations. But Luke is first showing that they did in fact keep spreading the gospel everywhere and that nothing could stop God's plan and providence or the Spirit's power to convert. Luke is showing what Jesus said. They would be witnesses from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And that's what happened in Acts. It's unstoppable. Luke was written probably between the years 60 and 70 AD, the time when Nero was ruling. During this time, Christians were burned alive after he blamed the great fire of 64 AD on them to get pressure off of himself. Peter and Paul are said to both be executed under his rule. Christians were literally lit on fire at night to give light to Nero's gardens. They were covered in animal skins and made sport. They were crucified. What did Acts first mean to those Christians? 
Not a guilt-ridden, go preach the gospel, you're not doing it enough. But the confirming encouragement that you can't stop it. No one can, let them burn you. Lose your job. Get awkward with your neighbor. You can't stop it. And some of those seeds, they'll land on fertile ground. They will, just like they did in Acts. Some of you may be wondering if the church is going to make it. And Acts is telling us that nothing can stop it. Dear church, will all of the seeds sown in our evangelism bear the same fruit? No, some will grow, some just for a time, some eternally. How does it grow? God is the one who grows it. How big will it get? It will overwhelm every other kingdom. Just know the kingdom never loses ground. America may be increasingly non-Christian. The kingdom of God, like the smallest seed, is growing into the tallest tree to cover the entire world. Be encouraged. Maybe you go home today and you revisit Fox's Book of Martyrs. Just remember the kingdom, though seeming small, it cannot be stopped. Be encouraged and maybe make a mental adjustment. Make an adjustment. Make an adjustment about what you think is the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is the salvation of souls. This might help you adjust your idea of what the purpose of the church is. The mission is the salvation of souls, the expansion of the kingdom of God through the preaching of forgiveness through Jesus Christ. I mean, the church has a lot of things that we do. We, we do counseling. We could be okay at that. We try to care for those who have been abused. Well, that's something we're growing in, I hope. We try to care for the poor. That could be a sticky thing. Are we enabling? Are we helping? Who's the real poor here? We try to care for young marrieds, singles, give space for them to be themselves and grow together. All, all kinds of things we're trying to grow in. But the purpose of the church is salvation. The forgiveness of sins, the transfer of kingdom, salvation from the penalty of sin and the judgment of the world. Is salvation what you think about the church? Is salvation what you think the church is for? Is salvation what you want the church to be more about? Is salvation what I think is actually happening about the church? That's the best thing about any church, is salvation is happening there and being maintained there and loved there. Is salvation what I'm concerned about when I pray by myself in the morning or at lunch or at night? Is salvation what I'm thanking God for, what I'm asking God for? What would you write on your complaint card to the pastor? You go to a restaurant, you go to HEB, you go to a doctor, you get on the phone with AT&T, they're going to give you a chance to give some feedback at the end. Oh, friends, I, I, I could have a lot of things I might expect you to complain about to me as your pastor. But I would hope our desire would increasingly be, I want our church to be about salvation. That's what I want, Pastor. It's what this church ought to be. It's what every church ought to be. About salvation of the lost, about the transfer of kingdom. The church is to spread the kingdom of salvation, forgiveness of sins through faith in Jesus Christ risen from the dead. And every time someone hears and, belie and believes and are saved, the kingdom grows. Make salvation the thing that you are thankful for in your own personal life. 
Make salvation the thing that you are thankful for and ask about in others. Be more glad, John Piper says, that you are saved than that you are successful, even in Christian things. If you're not a Christian, just know that our church and faithful churches, they don't, we don't have really a lot of things to offer you. We have a lot of things to offer you, fellowship and prayer and support and trying to grow as a Christian, but really nothing that isn't salvation from sin by giving the news of Jesus put salvation where it belongs in your thinking of the church. Adjust your mind. I'm saved. Thank God we're saved. Let's help other people be saved. And lastly, an exhortation. Keep doing what is unstoppable. The message becomes, go share the gospel. No one can stop the expansion of the kingdom. Who knows on what soil seeds of the word may fall. Let the light shine. There's no need for us to put a basket over anything. God will make it grow. And although it looks very small right now, you cannot stop the expansion of the kingdom of Christ from becoming the kingdom of all creation. Keep telling people about Jesus. Keep telling people about Jesus. Through the book of Acts, they just kept telling people about Jesus. Even when heads were getting cut off and people's houses were being ransacked and it got awkward between Jews and Greek-speaking Jews and it just kept going from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And now it's here. Now it just keeps going. Keep telling people about Jesus. Let me encourage you, church. I want to say keep telling people about Jesus because I've heard a lot of stories about our church telling people about Jesus. And our members meeting last month we do what we always do in our members' meetings once a month right now. We take time to share about any chance you might have had to tell someone about Jesus. In our last meeting, there was telling someone about Jesus at Goodwill, telling a student about Jesus online, telling a nephew about Jesus, someone telling their hairstylist about Jesus, someone telling their neighbor about Jesus. There's the members of our house over between that members meeting in today and some group of men sitting around my table just telling about different people that they have shared the gospel with and are praying for. Co-workers who work in their offices with them. In our elder meeting last month, one of our elders shows up to ask for prayer for a gospel conversation that he just had that day. In our staff meeting in recent weeks, Cal shared about going to the University of Texas campus to share the gospel. Yesterday, I watched a member walk out the front door of this building with a handful of what is the gospel tracks. I don't know where they were going, but I know what I think they were doing. Keep sharing the gospel. Maybe it would help you go online, do some reading about this today, a free book. There's a book called Before You Share Your Faith, Five Ways to Be Evangelism Ready by Matt Smethurst. It's for free to download. Matt Smethurst, you can look it up on Twitter, his pinned top tweet is the free download of that book, Before You Share Your Faith, by Matt Smethurst. You can go download it. I've got several books on evangelism out here that might just encourage you to be reading through them. But just think about some simple sentences no matter where you go. You can ask anybody, what do you know about Jesus? Hmm, mind if I share? Hey, what's the message of the Bible? Hmm, mind if I share? Have you considered what makes Jesus so important? Why do you think the church is, what do you think the church is really all about? What do you think the church is for? It's about salvation. Can I share? Keep 
sharing the gospel. We don't know where seeds of the word may fall, but we know the kingdom is unstoppable and many will be saved. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the hope of the gospel for ourselves, but also thank you for the hopefulness of the kingdom growth. That it is growing mysteriously in those small becoming Lars, it is growing by the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, you help us be about speaking about Jesus this week. Help us not stop that. Father, help us be encouraged about the success of the mission to save people from every nation. Help us adjust our minds to what we're doing here. That we're about salvation. We do many things, but we are primarily seeking salvation of the lost. Help us keep talking about Jesus. We love you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.